Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Amen. Hallelujah. As we give uh, thanks to the Lord that we're connected with the Spirit of God who gives us a little bit of an understanding, the heart of God, and um, the promises of God are eternal promises. You don't want to go and be sold out on something temporary that's going to wear out and come to an end. Um, There's a lot of men that are taking that journey to, uh, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is a dead end, and there's destruction there, but the ways of God are eternal. And we want to line up our heart to that which is eternal um, and forever fruitful. Um, This morning, it was a a beautiful time of worship. We have um, uh, the daughter of our uh, precious pastors from Lima, Peru. Um, uh, Paz was up here on the worship team. I don't know if you guys, she did a special song this morning. Um, And she's going to also uh, bless us with a song at the end of today's service. And it's powerful to know that the people of God, wherever they go upon the earth, there's family. And they could come in, and and she's been staying with us for a couple days because she had a conference to attend here in Miami. And and it's a safe haven for our sons and daughters to be able to be connected with the people of God all over the world. And uh, as we go into Lima, Peru, or Ecuador, or the nations of the earth, there's families that are close to the heart of God. And and it's powerful. Even this weekend, I was invited to a pastor's uh, prayer breakfast, and I met uh, a young man, Tyran Meredith, who grew up in the streets of uh, Detroit, Michigan. And he has the Lion of Judah Church in downtown Michigan, and he's a young man who God is using powerfully amongst the gang leaders and the prisoners that are in Detroit, Michigan, one of the hardest cities in America. And this gentleman is a prince. He's a beautiful man of God. And he says like this. This is what he says. This is his testimony. He says, Jesus Christ saved my soul, but the men in church saved my life. Because he was able to go to a church, and he didn't have a father. So the men at church were his fathers. And they were teaching him his ways. Uh, One time he was with some friends in a street fight, and um, he got arrested at the age of 17. And it was the men of the church that went to pick him up. At, at jail and said you know something what you're doing to your mom is wrong and let it be the last time you end up in prison and he says yes sir yes sir and and he was able to direct his whole life and now he's a beautiful pastor in Detroit Michigan and uh, hopefully the Lord knits our hearts together to work with him but uh, we're excited on many fronts of what God is doing and if I could encourage you to get on God's framework for your life if there's anything that's um, Uh, covering your vision for who you are in the kingdom of God, I ask that the Lord would heal your eyesight, that you can see that you're called to be a world changer, you're called to be a prince, you're called to glorify God. Let's go ahead and dismiss the children back to Sunday school. And we have a powerful morning, um, and God wants to speak to his people today and make sure that you guys are lined up with the heart of God. I pray that, that your heart would, would yearn 
would be hungry and thirsty for God. And, um, and that you find your way to his incredible presence. That you would find your way to understand um, one of the most fascinating things God has done is to reveal himself through Jesus Christ, his son. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to be uh, trying to figure it out in a difficult manner. If God revealed himself in deep mathematical equations, a lot of us would be hung because we're not good at math. If he was trying to reveal himself through some chemistry or engineering formula or cosmic uh, uh, what's called a, a um, some cosmic plan where, where we look up and, and we're like, we can't get it. We don't understand. But he wants you to be able to understand to such a capacity that you're able to turn around and tell someone else in, in plain English, in, in simple uh, words, how great is our God. Um, one of the verses that the pastors were using up in Fort Lauderdale was, our Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's, he's an incredible, awesome God, and he's worthy of our praise. Uh, Paul describes it in the New Testament as there's only one reasonable thing to do when you get to know who God is, and it's to surrender your life 100%. Lord, I'm, I'm undone. What, what is it you want from me? Uh, how do you want me to live? And, and that's, what, that's what knowing God. Uh, I used to say knowing God is to love God. And to love God is to serve God. Amen? When you know God, you love him. Everybody, um, I, I remember being at the bowling alley once and a young girl had a t-shirt and she says, God is a dog. I went up to her. I said, excuse me, uh, your shirt there. Um, could you explain? She says, yeah, he's just, God is a dog. I said, you've never met God. If you knew God, you wouldn't be expressing that, those words. Um, I was talking to a young man this week whose older brother committed suicide, and he's angry at God. And I told him, listen, God has an umbrella, and he opens it, and he invites you to the umbrella. If you decide to stay away from the umbrella and get struck by lightning or get wet by rain, it's not God's fault. It's yours. It's your responsibility. And I told him, for 30 years, I've been talking to your dad about coming under the refuge of God. And he decided not to until your family got struck by lightning, until a travesty occurred because you would not come under the refuge of God. So let's... Let's, let's understand the heart of God and come quickly to his presence so that we not live nightmares, so that we not undergo hardships that God never intended. Because there is the enemy of our soul, which is Satan, and he is rotten his destruction. The Bible says the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So any evidence of that in our lives is we're not close to Christ who says but but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly that you might have a good life like my son preached a couple of months ago um, he has incredible uh, shadow and um, 
I, I thank God for what's going to happen this morning. I have a friend of mine that's in Jerusalem. He's a pastor. Uh, we met him in 2007 when we went to Israel. His name is Ron Cantor. Ron Cantor. And uh, him and his wife, Alana, are there in um, Jerusalem. And they have a heart. He, he was born and raised in the United States. But in college, during his college years, when he met his wife, they felt a calling for them and their three daughters to go to Israel and to, uh, he had to learn Hebrew. He didn't know how to speak Hebrew. Now he's very fluent and he's a powerful pastor in Israel. And he um, filmed a little two-minute video um, explaining what's taking place in the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar, uh, we said it about four weeks ago. It's called Rosh Hashanah, which is their new year. They celebrated that they started a brand new year. They call it Rosh Hashanah. So they welcome the new year. Uh, they eat apples dipped in honey because that signifies God's going to bless us this year. We're going to have a sweet year. And a lot of Latinos are dipping their raisins in vinegar. They're saying we're going to have more of the same. We're going to have a bitter year where our life is horrible. But we, we should follow the track and the example set by the people of God. For they have been given the word of God. And they have the models and the types and the patterns of God's heart. And God says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope for good things to come. And we're always expecting the horrible things. But if you know a faithful God, you will be able to rest um, you know, from time to time, even this week, we had a special guest come on Thursday night, and he blessed the Spanish congregation. Um, and even this afternoon, uh, I feel from the heart of God that you would line up with the heart of God. So we have two special movies this afternoon, um, the 5 o'clock for English speaking. Um, you need to love what God loves, and so that's why I want to show this movie. If you speak English... Um, you come at 5 o'clock, and we're going to have a special movie. And, and it, it talks about, it, it explains the heart of God towards his people so that you could understand also. And the thoughts of God in our brain are peace. A lot of the torment we're feeling is because we're not, we're not lined up with thinking like God wants us to line up. I know there's a remnant of people that want to know God. I'm, I'm one of those people. I want, I want to be where God wants me to be so that I could... Be filled with all of what God is. So, yeah, I had other schedules this afternoon, but um, I want to make sure that we have everything God wants us to have um, before it's too late and not postpone it. And some of you will say, well, that's, that doesn't fit in my schedule, and, and I bless you, and I'm glad you have a busy schedule. But, but make sure that you are flexible enough. And this is what God taught his people in the desert. He says, when you see the cloud move, you pack up because we're going. And you can't say, yeah, but I just put my clothes out to dry and it's not the time to move. Because you're going to be left behind. And then some of us want to move when the cloud doesn't move. And then you're like, I, I want to get going. And God says, no, when you see the cloud move, you move. And when you see the cloud stay, and sometimes it stayed for a week, sometimes it stayed for three months. And I'm sure the antsy people were like, well, we want to go to the promised land. Let's get, let's get going. And, and they had instructions to move with the cloud of God. And under that cloud, God's provision was faithful. And so this afternoon at 5 o'clock, I've, I've felt from the Lord that this 
powerful movie is going to bless your life. And it's going to bless the life of your children as you try to explain to them and, and uh, communicate the heart of God. So at 5 o'clock, we'll see this movie. It's a powerful, it's made by uh, uh, the Jewish state of Israel. And uh, it really shows a lot about the depth of what we're going to be sharing this morning so that um, you can line up your heart with the heart of God and understand his ways and his timing. As you do, um, heavens will be open towards you. Um, the dynamics of how the people of God, they're very peculiar people. In fact, that word peculiar could even be translated over to strange. The way they do things and the, the heart they have. And, and if you saw Fiddler on the Roof, you saw, you saw a little bit of that dynamic. And God wants you, you know, the Bible says we've been adopted into the people of God. And um, he wants you to understand his heart and his ways. And I believe this movie is going to be a little bit in that regard. Um, did we show Peru already? We haven't showed Peru? Okay, let's show Peru. This was our trip to Peru real quick. Um, and it was a fascinating time. We, last year was five cities, 16,000 people were impacted. Five cities, 16,000. This year, it was nine cities. 20,000 people impacted. And um, I'm not going to travel to Peru to tickle and to have the people have a good time. They were going to get marked by a world-changing word, right, that would be able to translate to the nations uh, really powerfully. Let's go ahead and watch the Peru. Uh, we were over there for four days. Let's watch Salvemos a la Familia. Started nine years ago, eight years ago. This was the eighth year. We have been there for nine years in a row. And this is the fruit of our work. The first year, there were only 150 people that showed up. Eight years later, we're touching 20,000 lives with a team of over 40 world changers that come together. Let's watch this.
Amen. Many of the countries in South America have adopted this conference, and um, it has spread over into uh, Chile and Argentina and Brazil and continues to grow throughout in Mexico. And so we're super excited of how God is able to make this vision fruitful as God desires all the families of the earth to come into his order and his blessing. So uh, super excited. Let's go ahead and pray for the word of God and tell your neighbor, get ready. You're about to hear from the Lord. And God wants to speak to your life so that you might be fruitful, that you might be multiplied, that you might increase, that you might fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion, that you be the head and not the tail. Father, we thank you for your mercies upon our life. We thank you for this is the day you have made for us to rejoice and to be glad. We give you thanks, O oh God, for your word is so rich and everlasting and it reveals your heart and it sheds wisdom so that we might walk according to your ways and be fruitful and abound towards peace, joy, and righteousness. And Satan has tried to come and to steal our peace, our joy, and the things we do right before you, that we should perish. We pray, Father God, that your life might come into our hearts through your spirit and obedience should be our standard and reality and that we might be crowned with favor in all our ways and be blessed in all all, every direction, Father God, as we listen to you and fulfill your heart and your purpose. Bless your word and allow it not to return void, O God, but send it out for the purpose which you have sent it, O God, and allow us to know the things that are according to your design, that we might be the joy of all the earth, the people saturated with your presence, blessed in our coming in and our going out, O God that we might be favored of God and that all nations notice that we are a delightful people and that our land, our family, our marriages are full of unity and purpose in your presence, O God. Now, Father God, allow this word, Father God, to be like a double-edged sword that would cut away anything that is resisting the will and the hand of God that has us tied and centered in our own ways, Father God, and release us to your purpose. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's begin by acknowledging that just a couple of weeks ago, the Jewish New Year has uh, taken place. Um, It is the year 5,774. We're celebrating the year 2013, but for the Jewish people, they consider it 5,774. And after having celebrated the new year, the first thing the Jewish people do is they celebrate the feast of Yom Kippur. And that is a a time of sadness and a time of coming before God, the feast of Yom Kippur, and saying, God, we have walked away from your presence. We have dropped the ball. We, We have rebelled. We have disobeyed. And so they seek a repentance An offering up, um, it's the saddest feast in the whole year for the Jewish people as they really regret having turned their backs on God. And the whole purpose of the feast is to say, I want to get back on track. I I want to walk in your ways. I want to hear your voice. I want to obey your commandments. And then 15 days after that celebration of Yom Kippur, um, it goes totally to the opposite extreme. 15 days after repentance, they begin to celebrate something called the Feast of Tabernacles or something that's called Sukkot. 
Um, and the festival of Sukkot is, is a festival of, um, the word Sukkot means tabernacle. And God commanded his people that they were to celebrate this feast forevermore. It was a feast that would commemorate um, uh, living in um, temporary shelters. Sukkot means uh, booth or tabernacle or shelter. And for 40 years after the people of Israel left Egypt, you guys know the story, uh, 40 years they lived in the wilderness and they had to live in tents. And these are the shelters. These are the temporary dwelling places. And, and so we will begin by reading um, there in Leviticus 33, and we can start in verse, I'm sorry, Leviticus 23, verse 33. And the Lord gave them commandments. The Lord gave Moses a commandment, and he spoke to Moses saying this, verse 34. Speak to the children of Israel and say, on the 15th day of the seventh month in the feast of tents, or tabernacles, for seven days you shall celebrate. Verse 35, on the first day there shall be a holy day. The first day of these seven days, you shall not do any customary work on it. It will be seven days worth of a celebration. Verse 36, for seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy gathering convocation. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred gathering, assembly. And you shall do no work on it. Verse 37. There are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to, as holy gatherings, convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and a drink offering every day on its day. Verse 38. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, this will be, uh, and besides other gifts and all your other vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give, this is on top of, of your voluntary celebrations uh, verse 39 also on this 15th day of the month when you have gathered the fruit of the land you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days on the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest verse 30 uh, verse 40 and you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees branches of palms boughs of leafy trees the willow of the brook and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days um, the commemoration of the feast of Sukkot uh, required four things that they would bring before the Lord they would bring um, the, the citron which was almost like a lemon like fruit that grew solely in Israel. It looks like this. It looks like a lemon, but it's particularly native to Israel, the land of Israel. And then they would also take um, the palm branch from a date tree. It looks like this, and it's uh, supposed to be part of what you would bring to the Feast of Sukkot. And then you had both the, the um, what was called the myrtle, which is a branch of the myrtle tree, and then you had a branch which is called um, the willow that would, would grow out in, in, the, in, the, in the rivers there. And so this is how you would do. You would grab the, the what's this called again, the citron on your left hand, and then you would have, the, you would have the, the palm branch in the middle, and then you would have the myrtle on one side, 
the leafy branch, and then the willow on the other. And this is what you were to present during these feasts. These are the things that God asks you to have in hand. And, and really, uh, through the years, they would, they would stand in the presence of God all together, and they would gather these things, and, and they would actually... They would wave it before the Lord. They would do three times in front of them. They would do three times in the left. They would do three times in the right. They would do three times to the back. And then they would do three times up. In every direction of their life, they were saying, God, we acknowledge that you're the one that makes us fruitful. We acknowledge that you're the one that sends the blessing from the east. You send it from the west. You send it from the south. You send it from the north. And it all comes from above. And this was God's people. And he commanded them to do this once a year for seven days. And they were to not only present these things before the Lord. um, The totality of what this meant and its wholeness is that that, um, Israel was to be united That God wanted to see a united people. And so he was putting all this thing together so that they would always remember that our God is a God of unity. Our God wanted his family to be together. The heart of God is that we would be one because there is power in agreement. There's power in one. And the Bible says that a house divided will not prosper. And so each one of these things also had a physical significance. The citron, which was the fruit... Um, was a reflection of the heart of each person. This represented the heart. God wanted you uh, to have a pure heart, to be able to make sure that your heart was not contaminated with bitterness and resentment and ugly things. And then um, you had the, the, the myrtle tree, had the small leaves on it, and each one of these leaves represented your eyes. What, you were offering up your eyes to the Lord. You were making sure that your eyes were clean because your eyes are the lamp of the whole body. Whatever you set your eyes upon. That's why the Bible says fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Otherwise, you'd be lost. And then the willow tree represented the mouth. It was a big mouth, right? Big leaves. And, and be careful with what you speak. Be careful to offer to God things that are pleasing to his sight. And so this was part of the Jewish celebration for the Feast of Tabernacles. And each one of those things were requested by the Lord to be in hand. And every year when they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, um, they pronounce it Sukkot. Uh, I want to show a small little video of my friend Ron Cantor, who's a pastor in Israel. And he's going to describe the second part of this feast, not only the offering of these four fruits. Um, I didn't say what the, the palm branch was, right? That's the spine. That's, that's where you stand. And that represents your, your whole body. And so that was also to represent the date palm, which out of that date palm was the fruit of sweetness and so all these things were, were recognizing these elements from the heart of God. Then the second part of the festival of Sukkot is um, to build temporary booths. You would call it a tent. Um, you would call it a, a, a shabby dwelling place. Because the best that man could do upon the earth is to almost construct these things that are very shaky. Things that are very temporal. Um, things that reminded us that we need God. How many say amen? amen? 
that, that it's good from time to time to go to your backyard and to build a little structure and put some palm branches where you could still see the stars and say, Lord, you know, our lives are temporary. They're shaky. They're not strong. You are our refuge. You are our strength. Without you, we could do nothing. And so let's watch this little video of my friend, Pastor Ron Cantor from Israel. He just, he just videotaped this, put this little presentation together this week. Let's go ahead and watch him. Hey, everybody. Ron Cantor with Maoz Media. Yesterday ended the Yom Kippur fast, which means that today, all over Israel, people are getting ready for Sukkot. That means they're going to build a temporary dwelling, a tabernacle, if you will, on their balconies, in their yards, even on their roofs. And in those Sukkot, we will eat, we'll fellowship, some will even sleep in them. Now, right now, I'm in our congregational building, and we're getting ready to build our congregational sukkah. Now you might be wondering, why in the world does an entire nation live in temporary dwellings when we've all got perfectly good apartments? Well, the reason is simple. How do you get a nation to remember its history? You see, we wandered in the desert after we came out of Egypt for 40 years. And during that time, we lived in Sukkot or tabernacles. During that time, God protected us supernaturally. He fed us and ultimately led us into the promised land. And we remember it because we do it every single year. From all of us here at Moe's, we want to wish you a Chag Sukkot Sameach, a happy Feast of Tabernacles. Amen. You shall dwell in these booths for seven days. All you who are native to Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that powerful how God wants to mark our generations with understanding His ways? We have another little video that will show you the four things that were to be brought before God's presence. And this was the fruit of our lives during the year. That your life during the year would be a recognition that, man, it was God's mercy. It was God's blessing that brought me to fruitfulness. Now, a lot of you guys are looking at me like a deer in the headlights. Like, oh, then why, why don't we think like that? Well, you know something? We are grafted in the vine. We're just learning the ways of God. Our family is first generation in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. First generation reading the Bible. And my grandparents didn't read much of the Bible. They didn't give their children a rich spiritual history. But now we're plugged in. And I have an expectation that my sons will know the Lord in a greater measure. That they will serve Him with more excellence. We're, we're scratching the surface of going deep with God so God goes deep with us. Let's go ahead and watch this second video. It was produced by the state of Israel and also gives us an understanding of this Feast of Tabernacles and not, not celebrated just in Israel because they were to lead the nations. Israel was to lead all the other nations that were running to their false gods, laying down before the gods of lust and mammon and serving um, uh, gods that are not like the Lord our God. Watch this, watch this little three-minute video now.
year, the city of Jerusalem turns green and yellow. And despite our deep historical ties with the state of Wisconsin and our well-known affinity for cheese, this has nothing to do with the Green Bay Packers. Throughout the city, families build these little booth-like huts that they live in throughout the holiday. They have a citron fruit and a date palm, it's called a lulav and an etrog in Hebrew, that we use to worship God on the holiday of Sukkot. To the untrained eye, the overwhelming sensations on the holiday of Sukkot may be so extreme that they may not notice a very curious phenomenon. The Gentiles. Shalom, Goyim. Shalom to you. In the midst of a biblical holiday celebrated exclusively by the Jewish people, today we see as many, if not more, non-Jews making the voyage to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot. The last time we saw anything like this, representation from all nations of the world, was in Solomon's temple over 3,500 years ago. It shall be that all who are left over, the remnant of the nations who had come to Jerusalem, will go up every year to worship the King Hashem, Master of Legions, and to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. People aren't just coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. There are families all over the world from different backgrounds, different religious affiliations that are building little huts outside their homes, freaking out their neighbors, all to celebrate the biblical festival of Sukkot. Like all things in Judaism, there are some rules that apply to building a sukkah. Through the Hebrew word sukkah as written in the Torah, we're able to see that a sukkah may have two and a half, three, are preferably four walls. The height of a sukkah cannot exceed 20 cubits, while the width cannot exceed infinity. That's right, a sukkah can be as wide as you want. The laws of building a sukkah reveal the essence of the holiday. A sukkah can be as expansive as possible to include as many people as possible, because one day the entire world will leave the security of their homes and enter into the ultimate sukkah in Jerusalem. Hope to see you there. Chag Sameach. Happy holidays from Russia. With love. <laughs> Happy holidays from Jerusalem to Mexico. Chag Sameach from South Africa. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Happy Sukkot. Amen. Really powerful. What does the Lord want us to understand? in regards to these feasts and these festivals. Well, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says, These things serve as a copy and a shadow. These things serve as something, a sort of an expression of the things that were to come in a future. Everything the Lord had asked. Let's go there to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. It says, These who serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make it according to all the pattern that I have shown you in the mountain. All the treks of these feasts are celebrating things that will come to pass in the future like we just heard in this video. Soon, all the nations of the earth will come to Jerusalem and they will present to King Jesus the fruit of their prosperity. The Bible is clear in saying that he will take up a throne in Jerusalem in the time to come. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, These old uh, rules, these old laws, let's go to there to Hebrews 10.1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. They weren't the very image of these things. 
and can never with these same sacrifices or ceremonies um, that are offered continually year by year make anyone perfect. It's not through the rituals and the ceremonies of living in a shelter um, that helps perfect you, but coming to the understanding that we are a frail people. How many, how many could say that? He says, you know something? When I see everything that I face, imagine one of these little tabernacles under the strong winds of a hurricane, under the, the great shakings of an earthquake. And you say, you know something? They're going to need something more than this shelter. The Lord says you're to, to reside in these booths for seven days. Some people actually sleep there during the seven days. When you come this afternoon at 5 o'clock, you'll see how these people uh, create an environment. And, and one of the special things of during the Feast of Tabernacles was if there would be anyone that would approach your uh, Sukkot um, during the Feast of Tabernacle. If somebody showed up and says, you know something, I don't have where to stay. I don't have a place to eat. That meant that God was prepared to open up the heavens towards you. That there was a special blessing of favor when you were able to receive somebody into your Sukkot to offer them refreshing. Colossians 2.17 says, these things are a shadow of the things to come. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but they serve to reflect the very substance of Christ. I, I hope that today you're not saying, well, pastor brought this weird teaching about a Hebrew feast. I hope that today you say, I need to remind myself that I am temporarily in journey and that I need God and that he is my strength. And, and while many things upon the earth want to front and offer you strength, it is Christ that is your salvation. It is he that puts your life back together. For one of the words that they most use during the Feast of Sukkot is Hosanna. They're getting in a, in a temporarily shaking, unfit um, uh, tabernacle. You know that the, the palm branches don't keep the elements out, right? You could see right through them. It's not very well, but, but it causes you to reflect. And the word Hosanna is saying, Lord, help me. Lord, save us. And this word Hosanna is the word they most use during their prayers. Because like Jesus says in John 17, 16, we are not of this world even though we are here. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Have you ever felt that you belong somewhere else? So many people taking their lives saying, you know something, I don't belong here. This, this is all weird. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe upon the earth. And I want to shout amen to you. That you're not from this place. That you're just a pilgrim and a stranger passing by on a journey according to God's purpose. And so even after a time of strength, even after a time of, of being overwhelmed, um, it seems to be that the stronger we get, what do you think is, is man's tendency when he is strong? What do you think his tendency is? To feel he doesn't need to go and get into a temporary tabernacle. He doesn't have to go and put a couple poles together and sleep in his backyard or in his balcony to remind himself that he's weak. Because some of us, I don't know if you know somebody who think they are strong. It's a scary thing when a man says, I don't need God. That's what Satan told Eve. If you, if you go make provision for yourself, you won't need God. And the truth of the matter is, we need God. 
and we need them a whole bunch. And so there in the book of Nehemiah, chapter uh, 8, verse 14, a long time had passed from Joshua to Nehemiah. They were already in the promised land. They already had a temple, a glorious temple. And there they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And it says there that they began to read the Bible again after many years. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded Moses, the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast month of the, during the feast of the seventh month. A lot of time had passed and the people of God stopped celebrating Sukkot. They stopped celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They were so strong and so mighty that they forgot. And the Bible says there, as they were reading upon their return from captivity, they found out that they were supposed to be doing this. Verse 15, that they should publish, that they should announce and proclaim to all the cities of Jerusalem, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches and olive trees Myrtle branches and palm branches, leafy trees, and make booths. They had forgot. We have forgot. A lot of people have forgot. They, they wonder why, why they're going through so much craziness in their life. They forgot that God was their strength. Verse 16, it says, so the people went out, and they brought them and made themselves booths. Each one of the roof of his house in their courtyards or in their courts of the house of God, in the open square between the water gate and the open square of the gate of Ephraim. Verse 17, all the assembly of the returned exiles made booths and dwelt in them. For since the days, this is, this is the most, the, the saddest verse for this history of people. It says, for since the days of Joshua, the son of of none until that day the children had not done so and so there was very great gladness from Joshua to Nehemiah a great 70 years and plus because there were 70 years in captivity they stopped celebrating God you are my strength God the best I could do upon the earth is a shaky dwelling place the, I can't do anything that would make me strong. I can't do anything that would make me permanent upon the earth. And it says in verse 18, also day by day, from the first day to the last of Ezra, they read the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast for seven days according to what God had requested. I'm wondering from time to time if it wouldn't be good for us, the people of God, to remind ourselves that God is our strength. That God is our provision. That God is the one who's given us a wife and children and something called the family. That we could come and take our residence under the shadow of the Most High God. And render unto Him faithfulness all the days of our life. Because He is the one that keeps us. And to have this type of heart. It was King David. And we could read that in Psalm 121, I believe. It says there, Who is my strength? Who, who shall I get my help from? My help comes from the Lord. Let's go ahead in Psalm 121. Let's read it up there, verse 1. He says like this. Where does my help come from? How am I established in the purpose of God? How will I see His favor upon my life? What, what lies ahead of me? He says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. 
That's where my help comes from. It doesn't come from those things that I feel are my strength. It's not my house. It's not, it's not like uh, a lot of times people say, my wife is my rock. You know, your, your wife is not your rock. Jesus is the rock. And your wife and you are built upon the solid premise of his mercy and grace. Verse 2, he says, my help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. We, we often go to so many different places seeking help, but we are not understanding. Um, C.S. Lewis said like this, and I hope this burns in your heart like it did in mine. All that is not eternal is eternally useless. All that does not have eternity in it, it's not attached to eternity, is really not favorable to our lives. So God is teaching us to forego the temporary uh, pleasures of this life. The temporary pleasures of a moment of pleasure to have a lifetime of sadness. And that we might rejoice in the Lord our God for there is our strength. And many times we're, we need to be reminded, like uh, Paul reminded the church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. All I need is that which is eternal. And that which is eternal is the grace of God. And when we're asking God for something else, he says to us, my grace, my provision is sufficient. For my strength is what perfects your weakness. Quit looking for something outside of me, in other words. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I, you know, when I see these, these tabernacle in the booth, they're almost, they, they almost give you a sense of, this is ridiculous. Well, man could do much more than that. I mean, does God expect us to live in cardboard boxes? The Bible says that a, that a foolish man thinks that his riches are strong walls. How many know that's a lie? And if you don't know it's a lie, God will have to give you a circumstance in your life that will carry you greater than what you think your strength is. If you have a million dollars, God will give you a two million dollar problem. Why? Because you need to run out of yourself, my friend. You need to run to God. My best friend, my whole lifetime, four weeks ago. And people say, why do you keep on reminding this? Because I want all peoples to know before they end in the same calamity. I was with him just six months ago, and we had sat at the table, and he had a grimace on his face like, I'm doing good without your God. Well, when his son commits suicide, he says, guess what? I'm bankrupt. I don't know what to do. And he says that friends are telling him, you need to get professional help. And he says, no, my friend, this is only something that God could heal. This is only something God could handle. So why are we going to challenge God and say, I don't need God. I don't need to worship the God of heaven. My help comes from the U.S. dollar. My help comes because I'm a wise and thrifty businessman. My friend, I have seen people lose 36 years of a well-trained mind to become like a child who doesn't know how to write or read in a car accident, in a situation that's very uh, um, discomforting. Let us make God our strength. Let us make his shadow our refuge. Let us make his blessing our prosperity. And this is what he's telling his people with the celebrations of these. And verse, let's go back to verse 9, please. 12, 9. He says, I will boast in my weakness because my strength will rest upon God and not myself. That it will not rest upon me. Verse 10. 
He says, therefore, I will rejoice. I will celebrate my weaknesses. I will celebrate the areas of my life where I will call upon God. I will celebrate in my needs and when people are persecuting me. I will celebrate God in my stress, in my distress. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, he is strong. When I am undone, he is the one that puts me together again. Psalm 39 verse 4, it's one of the things that the feast of Sukkot is supposed to impregnate our heart. And and I'm, I'm constantly speaking to my family about this, that our life upon this earth, say with me, is temporary. It's short-lived. It's, it's the moment that God allows us to be with our loved ones in our family. Lord, make me to know the end of my days. And what is the measure of my days that I might know how weak I am? God is not impressed with saying how strong you are, how you don't need God. God wants to open the heavens towards you, and he wants you to be the, the apple of his eye. He wants to be the God who cares for you. The God who allows you to celebrate these feasts that is a reminder that we're only passing through this life. We're only here on a temporary basis. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says, Hey, take your eyes off what you see. Take your eyes on what is your strength. Are you insane? Do not fix your eyes upon things that are seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18. Don't fix your eyes on those things that are your strength. We do not look at the things that are, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. It's not our strength. But the things that are eternal and not seen, these are permanent. Those things that, that God wants us to look at, that God wants us to live for, that is the strength of the Christian life. Why? Hebrews 12, 27. Once more, there shall be a shaking. God's going to rattle your life. Listen to me. You might not like God rattling your life, but you know what God rattling our life does? It makes us run to Him. He's the only solid ground. He's the only faithful promise. Nothing else withstands time and storms. Yet once more... It indicates the removal of things that are being shaken as the things that are made so that the things which are unshaken might remain. It's necessary that we lose any semblance of a physical temporary existence that we might move in the direction of that which is permanent and solid. They asked Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham, Hey, aren't you worried about your father? His whole life he's been faithful to God, and now he has a whole bunch of medical conditions. He is a sick man. Don't you think that God is not fair? That's a, that was Larry King on Larry King Live. Just challenging the daughter of a man of God. You know what he, she said? No, Larry, God knows that my dad is approaching the end of his race upon the earth. And in order, after he's done so many wonderful things for God, as he's drawing near to the gates of heaven, God wants to make sure that my dad is on his knees and that he depends on God as he takes his last steps into eternity. So while you see it as God's unfaithfulness, I see it as a faithful God keeping his servant on his knees until he comes to the presence of the Lord. I praise God for that answer. I praise God because... 
for, I've taken uh, surveys after being a pastor now for about 20 years. I've taken surveys, five years as a youth pastor, 15 as a senior pastor, and I've taken surveys. I've realized that everybody's at church because they have a problem. I realized that if we didn't have problems, we'd probably be somewhere else. We'd probably be at the beach. We'd probably be uh, doing the Macarena somewhere else, drinking a pina colada at the sunset. But because God allows cancer and brain tumors and physical infirmities and relational problems at home, that we find ourselves needing the presence of a faithful God, the, the refreshings of his goodness in the midst of our travail, our sufferings. And so while the world sees it as, as weak-minded people, people says, Joaquin, you've been in the Lord since you were a teenager, man. You've always used God as a crutch. I said, no, I've used him as a wheelchair. I need God all the time. Every second of my life, I need God. Every breath I take, I need God. For every decision I make, I need God. I would, I would shudder to think that I could live without God. Job 5.13 says that sooner than later, he will catch the wise according to their own craftiness. And the counsel of those who think they're sharp will soon come to a quick end. I don't need God. I don't need to think like God. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to honor my parents. I don't need to fear the Lord. Guess what, my friend? Yes, you do. And soon you're going to be finding out why. You're going to be finding out why it's a blessing to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. To say, God, I'm weak and you're strong. God, you know it all, and I thought I was all-knowing. Isaiah 57, 21 says, there's no peace for those that don't think like this. They have no peace, those that don't understand eternity. God has given us a physical body that will be laid to rest, but he's given us a spiritual body that will live eternally. And we must cultivate, and we must enrich and nourish our spirit to carry us in times of difficulty. In Psalm 137, verse 1, they would tell the people of Israel during the times of the Babylonian captivity. He says, as they sat by the rivers of Babylon, these rivers served as a prison. Psalm 137, 1. It says, as they sat next to the rivers of Babylon, because that's where their prisons were, we sat there and we wept when we remembered that God had made us strong and we forgot to celebrate Sukkot. We forgot to acknowledge God as our eternal, permanent resting ground. And we wept there as we remembered what God had told us to celebrate. Verse 2, he says, Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. We weren't celebrating what God wanted us to celebrate, so we had to hang up our guitars and our musical instruments because we were reminded that the time of our restoration had passed. Verse 3, those that were holding us captive, those prison guards demanded of us, and it says they tormented us, plundered us, request saying, why don't you sing? Why don't you sing with happiness and laughter? Sing to us one of those songs that you used to sing when the Lord was your God. See, there's a time and place where we should have our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts lifted up to heaven. Colossians 3, 2 says, put your mind on the things above, not on the things that are down here. Lift your, your heart to the heavens. Lift your hope to the future of God's promise. Set your mind on things above because many times they're well rooted on the things below. And I'm impressed seeing how many of us are able to do things upon our natural being and we're so unuseful to the Lord. 
Psalm 94, verse 2. It says, Lord, rise up and judge the earth. Render to the proud what is fit for punishment. Give those people that they think that they don't need God, give them a little shaking. It's like Jerry Lee Lewis sang a song, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. That's the song of the wicked, of the proud. Things in their life are falling apart. They got leprosy like laymen. It's not until they have infirmities that they look to the heavens. Verse 4, they pour out arrogant words, speaking hard things. All evildoers evil boast loftily. All these people, uh, I'm surprised now. I, I refer back to my childhood friend Carlos. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed how quick the revelation of needing God has come upon his life. I'm amazed at how he wants to be under the shadow of the Most High God and how he's moving quickly in that regards. He's reading Christian books after Christian books. He says, hey, Joaquin, last week he says, you know there's something called the generational curse? And I said, really? That's pretty wild. He goes, yeah, so I saw this book and I'm reading it and I, I grabbed my wife's hand and we prayed to break off generational curses. I'm like, Carlos, you're really impressive, brother. That's like somebody that would be a Christian for five years before they get at that level. But when you need God, it's time to run passionately after God. When you need, when you know the devil is on your tail, my friend, you're going to wish that you were in a strong place of refuge. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. And I praise God for a place to run. Verse 8, it says, consider and understand, you stupid ones. Does it say that? Oh, you fools. When will you obtain wisdom? Uh, uh, understand, you senseless among the people and you foolish ones. When will you obtain wisdom? Understand that God is the one that keeps us. God is the one. Who, who allows his shadow to come. Verse 22, the Lord has become a high tower. He's become a place of defense. And my God, he's a rock of my refuge. I often told many of my worldly, non-Christian friends, why do these men talk about God as a refuge, as a castle, as a strong place? What are they running from? They're running from the elements of this life, my friend, that fall upon all those that are not under the shadow of God, that haven't taken their dwelling. In Psalm, chapter two, uh, Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations speak with so much rage? Why do they plan? Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do people run? The nations rage, and the people are putting together their lives in a temporary setting, like if it was solid. Verse 2 says, the kings of the earth take their place and the rulers take counsel together against God. Recently, there was a, a, a printout on a Starbucks cup. You guys know Starbucks, right? Uh, they, they allowed in one of their advertising campaigns these words to be written on their cups. Why in moments of crisis do we think about God and his strength and help? As well thought out cognitive beings... Why would we ask something that might be, might as well be a figment of our imagination for guidance? Why, why do we run to God? We don't need God. God is just imaginary. This is printed on a Starbucks cup. And guess what? They're soon to find out why we run to God in moments of needing strength and help. Because who is like the Lord our God? Who is like our God? Psalm 2 at the very end, it finishes up saying... 
Blessed are all those who seek God as a refuge and place their trust in him. There's blessing for these type of people. Keep your eyes on them. Keep and see their peace and their joy, even in the midst of the most credible circumstances that could befall men. It's really important that we would take our refuge there. Could we stand here this afternoon? And we're going to have a young lady come up with our worship band. And, and she's going to sing this song that says, we're going to put Jesus where he belongs. He's going to be at the center of it all. He's going to be our refuge. He's going to be our strength. In these times, I've even seen a lot of wives say, if only my husband would take his place. My friend, if you're a wife, take your place and trust God. Put your refuge in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them that you are, are, are feeling the elements of a shaky ground that is not strongly built so that he is your strength and that his presence would be your joy. Amen. As the musicians get ready, this is our beautiful spiritual daughter from Peru. We've known her since she was a little girl, and she's doing so great. She just finished her college here at uh, Southeastern University, and, and she's prepared to serve God faithfully with her giftings. She's had to fight the battles of being a faithful young lady in this generation with her eyes placed upon Christ and his faithfulness. And so you too... As she sings this song, join her. And, and let's, let's, after she sings, we're going to pray. We're going to put Jesus as our center. The substance of all things is Christ.